everybody, this is Dan Lobby. Before we get started here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, let me tell you about Football Insider, our text subscriber service where me, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Alice Williams will text you with the latest on the Browns news, analysis, what we're thinking, and more. You can text us back and we respond directly to you cutting through the clutter of social media. You also get opportunities to get involved in this podcast and participate in roundtables and other events for our subscribers. It's like a little club and you want to get involved with this club. You even get a newsletter every day. It's got exclusive content you either won't see on cleveland.com or you'll see before anyone else. You know what though? Don't let me tell you about it. How about if you hear from some of our subscribers as to why they love Football Insider? I, I don't know why any Browns fan would not want to have this. It's great. There's something every day. I mean, it's really, really keep, keeps me in touch with uh, the Browns. The daily newsletter that y'all put out there, I, I really like that. It's got a lot of links, a lot of different read-ups. I, I mean, just, you know, you get a lot of content. That's why I like it. If I'm at work or something, I need a quick break. I can hit that up and say, oh, and in a minute I can read uh, what you wrote and, uh, you know, see maybe that there's further information in, you know, one of your other articles or something like that. I get excited when I see, you know, my little text messages pop up. <laughs> so if you want to join us, you can start a 14-day free trial by going to cleveland.com slash browns and clicking on the box on the right side of the page. It's $3.99 per month after the trial. Or even easier, since it is a text service, pick up your phone and text 216 208 3965 to get signed up. Again, to start your 14-day free trial, text 216-208-3965. Everybody, welcome to our Wednesday edition, the short week version here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast as the Browns are getting ready to play the Cincinnati Bengals on Thursday. I'm Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great today, Dan. How are you doing? Doing all right. And also Ellis Williams joining us. Ellis, how are you? I'm cool, man. I'm in my apartment social room. So if I sound <laughs> a little different or you hear some babies playing with each other or some music in the background, it's, it's a lively group in here. So bear with me. <laughs> I'm jealous. I want to be in the, in the social room there. It looks, uh, it looks come, like a good time. Come hang on. I'm allowed two guests. I got you. Nice. Nice. We're doing a pod from there one of these days. Once, uh, once, we once we're allowed to do pods all together, we're, we're going to the social room where Ellis lives. All right, uh, let's, let's get to it. Of course, you know, the Browns and Bengals are coming up, but the talk of this week has been about Odell Beckham Jr., his connection with Baker Mayfield. And, you know, Mary Kay, this is just kind of life with Odell, right? This is life with a superstar. I mean, go ask any, anybody who's covered the Cavs or LeBron James uh, about life with a bona fide superstar. There's always something happening. And here we are, week one with the Browns. Things are happening with Odell Beckham Jr. What? I guess get us up to speed. Let's start there. Well, first of all, as we all know, there was a huge disconnect between Baker and Odell in the game. He only caught three of the 10 targets. That's not going to fly. 23 yards. I mean, it's Odell Beckham Jr. That never happened to him in New York with Eli Manning. It just never happened. Uh, It happened two times there in 59 games that he was in the 20s. Here, it's already happened, uh, you know, like six times or something like that. So uh, these two guys just are not connecting. Uh, And after watching that first game and hearing them both talk after this, I started to think, you know what, I I just don't even know if this is worth it anymore. I just don't see necessarily it getting a ton better. And maybe it's just time to move on and and try to see if Odell can possibly explore a trade. There was also a report, uh, Mike Francesa from uh, The Fan 
in New York said that the Browns are trying to shop him. I haven't been able to confirm that. I can't tell. I'm checking. I'm, I'm working the phones. I'm trying to figure out if they are actually shopping him. Uh, but I kind of came to the conclusion today that, you know, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for the two sides to just move on. Maybe Baker would be better off if he's not trying to force the ball to Odell, which I think he did. Maybe Odell would be better off somewhere else, like maybe with Bill Belichick and Cam Newton or something like that, where he could be happy. Uh, he doesn't seem happy to me here. Uh, I feel like they're both kind of, you know, not blaming each other, but I think they both deep down inside think it's the other one. And, um, and yeah, those are just some of my initial thoughts on the whole thing. Ellis, I mean, I mean, what did you see from that game on Sunday between both of them? Because I know I went back and rewatched, and it, I mean, it's just clearly obvious. Like, they are not doing the same thing. You know, when Odell is where he's supposed to be, the ball's not going where it's supposed to be. Or, you know, he's open on third and two, and he drops the ball, right? That should have been a first down. It's just, it really, that disconnect is just obvious right now for everyone to see. Yeah, yeah, it's we're headed into week two and we're already doing the Odell trade talks and I'm not surprised by that. Um, if you think about Kevin Stefanski's offense, he was with Stefan Diggs, who is now in Buffalo. They were together in Minnesota. Um, you know, I'd say for, I mean, obviously for Stefan and uh, his entire tenure there, but when Stefanski had his heightened role, it was a two-year window there where he, from what I've been told, had a lot to do with calming digs and keeping him happy in the building but we saw how that ended once Rick Spielman got the trade he wanted um, whether Stefanski was going to be there or not Stefan Diggs was out the door uh, these two receivers are very similar um, in both the way they play and the way they perceive themselves and I don't not going to sit here and use the diva term but they as they should think they're the best player on the team and on the field at all times so I know you asked me about what I saw Sunday, but what I'm trying to get to is that I'm in agreement with Mary Kay and not surprised by this. I mentioned during training camp, I didn't see any uh, resemblance of an intermediate or deep passing game from the Browns. Um, I feel like that'll take time to, to build. And Odell's in a way kind of running out of time here. You can't just say last year was a wash because that's still one year in his career. So it counts. And if it doesn't get going this week against the Bengals, we can get into that a little bit later. Um, I think Mary Kay is really, really on to something here. It just might be a, a, a divorce where both sides would be better. As for the game Sunday, I'll say this. The disconnect was obvious. When Odell gets lackadaisical, which doesn't help his case at all, which we saw in the drop, which we saw when he doesn't keep his seat in about well, when he exits the field and then returns to the field to play, it's just lackadaisical. Can't have that. And I haven't watched the All-22 yet, but I do want to mention this. Drawing pass interference calls, defensive holdings, those are really important plays. Right. Um, whether it's an automatic first down or the yardage of the pass interference, I've always argued that maybe at least in fantasy football, they should count for a little something because those are, those are huge plays. He kept drives going and he did register some first downs, even though he may not get credit for that in the stat sheet. So that's a long way of saying it's not – all Odell's fault it's not all this Browns offense fault and it goes back to what Mary Kay said they're probably both blaming each other and uh the writing feels on the wall but look I'll, I'll end with this receivers need two of three things to be happy on a football team yards touchdowns and wins Odell's not doing all that good in any of those categories right now but that can change Thursday 
I that that out of bounds play was so weird. I, I rewatched it. Yeah. I, I rewatched the game yesterday, and I, I had to actually had to go back and rewatch it like three or four times because Odell's body language on that play is so bizarre. Like he catches the ball and he almost he almost acknowledges that like hey the catch doesn't count, and he's like surprised that he gets hit after the play. It was just a bizarre. It was just a weird moment. So. I feel like there might be some disagreement here with me and, and the two of you. So, I mean, let's just get into this question. Mary Kay, you, you kind of alluded to it. You wrote about it. If you're the GM of the Browns, would you trade Odell? Well, you know, I, I have a feeling that they probably won't. And, you know, they, they probably won't do it unless, and even if he demands a trade, they probably still won't do it because we saw what happened. Now it's a different caliber of player, but we saw what happened when David Njoku tried to get himself out of here. Andrew Berry shut the door on that very fast because he has to set the tone that you can't complain your way out of town. The only way that they would trade Odell Beckham Jr. is if they feel like it will make the team better. And they might feel uh, at some point that it could improve the team because I don't care what Baker Mayfield said today. He forced the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. He did do that. Um, and, you know, certainly, yes, you want, you want to take advantage of those one-on-one -on -one matchups. But if Odell is not winning those one-on-one -on -one matchups on any given day, and he was getting a good run for his money from Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey, he, it wasn't like he was tearing those guys up. I mean, it wasn't like it was, you know, just to borrow a name for now. It wasn't like it was Odell Beckham Jr. versus Robert Jackson out on the practice field. I mean, he was going against two, two Pro Bowl cornerbacks that were giving him hell. And in, in that instance, you just don't necessarily need to throw to him, uh, you know, six times on one drive. Yes, he did draw three penalties on that drive, and that's great. But they still punted the ball, Okay. They still punted the ball away. Two of them were for five yards. One was for 15, but it didn't get, it really didn't get them anywhere. They did get the, you know, probably more first downs, I'm sure on that drive than any other. Uh, but still it was not the connection that you want to see from your quarterback and your wide receiver. Having said all that, and I'm getting ready to write something about this a little bit later, they didn't use enough play action for Baker Mayfield. That's what they were supposed to do. This was supposed to be use play action open things up for Odell, draw the defense in, leave him, you know, not necessarily wide open, but get him open enough that you can get the ball to him. When Baker was in play action in this game, he fared well. Last year when he was in, in play action, he fared very well as well. I don't know why they didn't use it more. I'm sure they will use it more going forward. And when they do, maybe all of a sudden things will get better between the two of them. So, so here's my problem with the idea of, of trading Odell. And I guess, you know, I, I actually thought about the David Njoku thing. If, if David Njoku is going to want to trade, and obviously Odell hasn't made that request yet. He hasn't gone out and said he demands to be traded. But if, if we were to get to that point and you stood your ground on David Njoku, you're really going to suddenly decide that you're not going to stand your ground with Odell Beckham? I, I just, to me, I look at it and trading him would make you better for the future because you you get an asset, you maybe get a player back who, who could help you down the road, but it certainly doesn't help you now because I don't know who catches the football if it's not Odell Beckham. I know you've got tight ends who can catch. I know you've got, you know, a, Jarvis Landry obviously is going to catch, but when I say, I, I guess what I mean is I don't know who's going to catch the ball down the field. 
if it's not Odell Beckham Jr. I don't know who your deep threat is. If it's not Odell Beckham Jr., you're stuck with you know, Jarvis, who is great. But then you're getting into Kadero Hodge, Rashard Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who couldn't even get on the field on Sunday. He was inactive. JoJo Natson. You don't have a lot, really, out once you get past Odell and Jarvis. And, and that would concern me because you're trying to – figure Baker out and, and put him in a position where he can be successful this year. And I think that position starts with him and Odell Beckham figuring this thing out, getting on the same page, and at least, at least getting it to a point where, you know, the ball's going to be where it's supposed to be and Odell's going to make the catches when he gets there. Yeah. So Dan, I, I like a lot of what you just said there. When discussing an Odell Beckham junior trade, you really, have to consider what assets you're getting back and that's twofold for me first you know Antonio Brown didn't go for a whole lot what would that have been almost two years ago now already when Pittsburgh was trying to get rid of him I think it was a third off the top of my head maybe a fifth in there too I know Stephon Diggs commanded a first but times are different now the Browns have no leverage and I know it's a running back compared to a receiver but you know Leonard Fournette was just cut by the Jaguars so what are you really going to get for Odell? That's the first thing. I'm not saying it's lower than a third. Mary Kay would know much more than I, but I am suspect as to what they'd get. Or at least the Browns are not coming to a discussion with leverage is what I'm trying to say. Second, and this is a real deep cut. I, I was in sixth grade when this was all going down, but I remember when Santana Moss and Laverius Coles were like swapping teams from the Jets and uh, the Washington football team then, if I have those two receivers right. And as a kid, I didn't really understand it. And maybe now as a professional, I can think perhaps it is just a, a fit thing because I don't know how much teams are going to value picks going forward with how strange the NFL draft is and all that and player evaluation. So watch this. Just talking crazy. What if the Rams wanted – yeah, I know, right? What if the Rams wanted to swap, you know, Robert Woods for Odell Beckham Jr.? I mean, on paper, on name, they're they're – you know, one's in Drake music videos and the other is used to play in Buffalo, but uh, this team could use a player like Robert Woods. Attention to detail, always where they need to be, and a similar play, set, play style. Who knows if that's even logical, but you get my point. I like your idea of a player swap more than talking draft picks, because this team needs help now, and they would need help at receiver immediately if they traded Odell. Well, the other thing to consider when you're when you talk about the notion of doing something like this is the cap hit. I mean, my goodness. He's got a $14.25 million cap hit this year. There are not very many teams uh, that that can take that kind of a salary on right now. There are very few. However, the Patriots are second in cap space behind the Browns. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to happen. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying that if you look over their history in the past, uh, you know, they have taken on, you know, one of those star receivers from time to time that, you know, not necessarily, you know, somebody that everybody else wants at the moment, you know, I mean, think, think about their, their history uh, with doing that. Bill Belichick will take on uh, an Odell Beckham type of guy. Now, again, it would cost them a, a ton of money against their cap and they'd have to figure out what kind of compensation uh, they would be willing uh, to part with for Odell, but it could get interesting. I'm, I'm sure, I am sure that Cam Newton and Odell Beckham have had this discussion. There is no doubt in my mind about that, right? I mean, Cam and Odell worked out together. They're very good friends. Uh, 
you know, we just recently saw them, uh, you know, in, in the round table together, a video that they put out, they're very close. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he would absolutely love to play for him. The other thing I think about Odell, I mean, we know him well enough to know just in the time that we spent with him last year is that he wants to play in a very established, successful offense with a really good quarterback. That is what he wants. He's at that point in his career where he doesn't want, I don't think he really wants to be part of something that's trying to get itself together. I think he wants to just be inserted into a well-oiled machine and hit the ground running. Mary Kay, you're making it sound like you've seen the director's extended cut of the roundtable discussion, the Nantucket part two conversation. <laughs> you, you've got some secret tapes you, you've been watching without us? Yeah, can't you just see it? I mean, right? Yeah. You know, there had to be some things, like you said, that ended up on, on the cutting room floor. We, we know Odell well enough to know what he likes, who he likes, what he wants, what he wants to see happen in his career. And, you know, if it's not going to happen here, he's, he's not going to be happy. And in my opinion, an unhappy Odell Beckham Jr. is not a good thing for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, you're, you're probably right about that. You don't want an Odell that is sulking, but I still just go back to like, figure it out, right? Baker, Odell, sit down and, and figure it out. Figure out how to get together. And look, maybe it's not all Odell's fault. I don't want to make excuses for Odell because he had the drop, right? That should have been a first down. It was part of that disaster that just turned the game into a rout. He, he should have made that catch. He should have stayed in bounds on that play. But there were also situations where Baker needed to be better. And there were situations where I thought, you know, the big Nick Chubb run early in the game, you know, give credit to Odell. He was out in front of Nick Chubb looking for anybody to block and, and he knocked Marcus Peters off balance a little bit and allowed Chubb to stiff arm, stiff arm out of the way and, and was kind of leading him down the field a little bit. So I, I don't think it's ever been an, an effort issue with Odell, uh, but I, you know, it, it's just clear they're not together, but I don't know if, if you can make it work between the two and he's not going to sulk and, and he's going to, you know, show up and, and put in the work every day and, and try to make this team better. Unless somebody's given me a really great draft pick or, a really good player and a really good draft pick in return. I'm, I'm just not in any rush to move this guy. You know, I think he got frustrated in that game. I think he didn't get his first target until four minutes into the second quarter. By then, I think he's thinking to my, himself, this game is almost half over and I don't even have a catch yet. And I'm not helping this team and we are struggling mightily and I haven't been able to do anything yet. And I think that, I think the wheels started going inside his head. And, you know, it just started unraveling and snowballing. And then by the time he did, you know, get that third and two, which, I mean, how, we see him make the most difficult catches all the time, right? I mean, there's no way. Obviously, he turned up field before he had that secured. He never does that. I mean, we never see him, almost never see him drop that pass. By then, I think he was already frustrated. I think he had already kind of lost his focus a little bit. And he admitted today. On, on the Zoom call, that he's the kind of guy that he needs to get involved very early. He likes to, you know, get going, uh, get into that game. You know, he's already done listening to all his music. He got himself all warmed up. Uh, he wants something on, you know, on the first drive, the second drive, and, um, and, and let's roll. And I think he got out of his head. What he didn't, what, what didn't happen on his own team for that, I think the Ravens 
Uh, I think Marlon and Marcus frustrated him in that game. They're very physical. They're very good. And, uh, and it just got away from him. Yeah, three things real quickly, and we'll see if I remember the third by the time I get there. Um, really glad, Mary Kay, you're talking about Marcus Peters, who I called Micah Peters on the live show Sunday, who is a ringer contributor. Um, that's my bad. Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey, they are two of the game's best corners, and playing in that defense, a quarters look, uh, deep coverage usually, they weren't going to let Odell beat them, and Odell, they got under their skin right away. So you're dead accurate about all, all that, and those two corners – deserve a lot of respect and for that game and going forward, they're going to be a problem. Um, second, my opinion of Odell in this situation could change a lot. And same with you guys, I'm sure over these next 48, 72 hours, uh, I'm going to watch the all 22 tape, hopefully tonight and get a better idea of what happened. And then they've got the Bengals Thursday night. And I know I said it at the top of the show, but uh, the Bengals have two outside corners who didn't look good against the Chargers. Uh, PFF graded them out poorly. I think both are below 60, once in the like 48-ish, I think. And if if this looks more like a problem, if, if Odell doesn't deserve much blame outside the drop when I watch the film, and then, you know, <laughs> you get yards, a touchdown, and a win Thursday, we're having a different conversation. And the third thing, yes, okay, got it. Um, Mary Kay, I really like what you said about Odell getting involved because one thing I've noticed about him, and I'm curious if you two saw it also, when he catches the ball, he is running around like a guy desperate to make a play because he doesn't know when he's going to get another chance to get this football. Uh, I saw it a little bit last year, and it was apparent on his first catch. And then I think that contributes to his drop on third and two because instead of catching the ball cleanly, he's thinking about how he can make 100 different moves to make something happen because he's acting as if, he might not ever catch this ball again, not because of his hands, but because of the way the offense runs. So um, three things there. And it's just, it's a ever changing situation uh, with Odell Beckham Jr. But Hey, some things are staying the same too, actually. Huh? And, you know, we've talked about this before with Odell and Jarvis, you know, part of the job of, of the offensive coordinator is, you know, get that football in a guy's hands, right? You don't want to get away from what you're doing and, you know, this, this is sort of skirting that line a little bit between getting a guy involved and forcing him the football. But early in a football game, it's not particularly difficult to figure out a way to give Jarvis a touch and figure out a way to give Odell a touch on a really easy, you know, whether it's a screen play or, you know, whatever else. It's, it's not hard to at least get the football in their hands and give them something kind of easy. And you kind of get Baker and Odell on the same page and Baker and Jarvis on the same page. And like, like Nick Chubb's going to be there. Kareem Hunt's going to be there. Those, those guys will all be there when you need them. If you need to burn a play early in the game, just to give Odell a really easy touch for even if it's six or seven yards, I think it's worth it because I think making sure those guys are involved and engaged early is really important. Oh, Odell and Jarvis are your two receivers that if, if you're going to get anything going in that passing game on the outside, they're going to be the guys that do it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you, you've got to get him going. You got, if you're going to have Odell Beckham Jr. on your team, you have to understand something. You have to make him happy. I mean, you just have to. You either have him on the team, and it's pretty much the same with Jarvis too. Either you have them on the team and you keep them happy, or you don't have them on the team. Because a disgruntled Jarvis and a disgruntled Odell – and it has to do with winning, not just individual catches and Pro Bowls and things like that. They want to win a Super Bowl. 
So if they're not having a chance to help the team win the Super Bowl, they're going to be unhappy. And you don't want an unhappy Jarvis and you don't want an unhappy Odell because it permeates the whole entire football team. And it's just not good for anybody. Now, having said all that and having wrote, written what I wrote today about maybe they should at least think about letting him seek a trade. I know that he's going to go out on Thursday night and he's going to catch 10 balls for 140 yards and two touchdowns. And I'm going to look like a fool, but then we can just spin it that I inspired him to do so. There you go. And then that's, I mean, look, that's the point of this. And I'm sure somebody's got their earbuds in on the treadmill or wherever in the, the social room in their, uh, in their apartment complex, just screaming like it was one game. It was Baltimore. Stop overreacting to this. And yeah, you're right. It was one game. This team could be, you know, 14 days from now sitting at two and one and Odell has two great games now, you know, so a lot can change, but you know, sort of our job sometimes to react in the moment. And this is real, right? If, if Odell goes out against Cincinnati and, and we're talking about the same stuff again, this is real and it, it's, it's an issue. So um, I, I guess we'll, uh, I guess we'll kind of see how that all plays out. Anything else on Odell? Are we good? You know, I just want to make one more point here. As we move forward, and we might not get the answer against a, a little bit of a lesser defense, but uh, like the Bengals and Geno Atkins is, is ailing and hurting in this game. But it just does bear wondering if Baker is a larger part of the problem that needs to be addressed. It needs to be watched. Uh, it, this needs to be the focus. Again, I think as he moves forward and gets more comfortable in this offense and they incorporate more of the play action that we are expecting them to do, I think he's going to get better. But, you know, the big, you know, the big elephant in the room here is, you know, is Baker a large part of the problem? Yep. Well, we're, we're going to start getting answers soon. <laughs> as, as, you know, Baltimore is one thing, but now you've got Cincinnati, you've got Washington, You've got some teams you should be able to do things against. Although that Washington defense in the second half of that game against Philly uh, was was impressive. Uh, Chase Young is is going to be coming at Baker, but you face great pass rushers every week in this league. That's just how it goes. All right, uh, we're going to throw it to Terry here in the second half. We're going to take a break uh, on Thursday game day. Make sure you you check out our picks pod. So you've got to be subscribed to this podcast wherever you get it. I'll tell you about Football Insider a, a little bit later. Uh, but now we're going to take a break and throw it to Terry Pluto. And now we welcome Terry Pluto onto the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Terry, how are you? I'm well. All right, Terry, have you... That's uh, something to me that was very disturbing. What's that? Right before we went on the air, something to me that was very disturbing. Uh-oh. You mentioned that when they played the Bengals the first time last year, I forgot all about this. <laughs> and actually, this ranks up there with, with Odell trying to field a punt in that blowout in San Francisco. What was exactly with Nick Chubb in the first half in that game? It was three three carries against, and at the time the Bengals were the worst run defense in the NFL. He carried the ball three times. I'm gonna go pull. I'm gonna pull up the game book from from that. Uh, you should. That game. It was, what was going uh, on there? Let's let's reminisce a little bit here. When, when was that? Was that week? Uh, it's gonna take me a minute to find what week. Yeah, that well, was. I'll talk a little bit because uh, I've been writing about you know. What I've liked about Stefanski is he, he actually set the parameters of this is how we're going to play. Run the ball, throw the ball to tight ends, and then kind of find receivers for 
breaking plays. But it's not going to be about, you know, Air Kevin or any of this. And then the first half of that game, before you, you, you get us with the uh, – at least he ran the ball 12 times. with You got Kareem Hunt, your client, and Nick Chubb. <laughs> And what I joke about that is actually I, I, would, I would sign up as co-agent on Hunt. I like him too. Yeah. But um, they gained 73 yards and 12 carries. You know, almost six yards. I guess that's like six yards a carry in the first half. Now you're down 24 to six, but so what? Run the ball in the second half. And then suddenly they channel into – they're throwing the ball over the place. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think sometimes in the NFL we get caught up in – you know, the, the spread of the game, right? It's 24-6, but it's also the start of the second half. There's still a ton of time left. You, you know, you, you can still run the football in, in that situation. Um, I mean, go ahead. What did you I, find? I pulled it up. I pulled up the game book uh, <laughs> just, to, just so we have this all right. In the first half last year against the Bengals, these, these are your rushing uh, numbers. This was the first, this was the home game against the Bengals. Two carries, 13 yards for Baker Mayfield. Three carries, 10 yards for Kareem Hunt. Three carries, seven yards uh, for Nick Chubb. So, so three first half carries for Chubb and Hunt combined. And now here's, here's the kicker, though, Terry. And, and I remember this so well because, you know, obviously, you know, if you're following on Twitter, everyone's complaining, why aren't you running the ball? Why aren't you running the ball? So the Browns come out in the third quarter. Their first play is a six-yard run by Kareem Hunt. Then uh, – a two-yard run by Chubb, a seven-yard run by Chubb, and the fourth play in the second half, Chubb breaks off a 57-yard run. It ultimately set up a touchdown to put the Browns ahead 21-13. to So they come out in the second half and start running the football, and you end up getting a, a big run by Chubb because that's the type of back he is. You kind of keep giving him the ball, and he's going to break a big one. Right, and, and to, to go against the Bengals again this time, and part of the way you do get those big runs is you pound away with the running. You have to have backs to be able to do it, and they have. I mean, Kareem Hunt, you know, I think he had a 22-yard run against the Ravens, and but Nick had a 28-yard like, plays after Nick had a 28 right. or 29 you know, and, and it puts that defense, you know, puts some fear into that defense I'm sorry, you go get all these tapes and of Odell and all this stuff. I just don't think the coordinators on the opposing teams are just throwing everybody to stop Odell. Um, you know, they're, they're probably watching Jarvis and, and these other guys. And I just don't want, I don't want Stefanski to lose what has a chance to work on offense just because you get down in the game, you want to start throwing the ball. Yeah, I mean, if I'm a defensive coordinator and you know, nobody's asking for this team to go three yards in a cloud of dust. But if I'm no. a defensive coordinator, the two guys I am most scared of are those running backs. And now I look at Cincinnati in that first game, just the raw numbers. I haven't had a chance to watch that game yet. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm planning to You're a little later. Watching that game. I will not join you on that. <laughs> I did see the end of the game, but that's about it. Uh, oh, I thought you meant the game where Nick Chubb got three runs in the first Oh, half. no, no, no. I'm talking about the, the Bengals game. Oh, I, I want to check out some of that. Yes. Um, they the Bengals gave up 155 yards to the Chargers, 84 to Austin Eckler, 60 yards to, to Kelly. And, uh, you know, so this is, a, this is still a, a defense that will give up running yards. And Especially be able to get Taylor's yards. playing quarterback for the Chargers. So it wasn't like they were worried about the passing. Right. So to get to your point, I want to see this. And, you know, I, I have to admit, I think it's so tired of the negativity that 
the Browns bring on themselves. Yeah. Play smart. Play <laughs> smart. Now, I, had to come out. So what happens when you lose 40 to six, okay? They're down 24 to six. You knew at halftime you can't stop the Ravens. If they need to score 60 points in that game, they were going to get 60. They were going to get whatever it took. So start running the ball. At least make your offense develop some confidence and let the fans actually develop some confidence in seeing some of this. How about for the game? They threw 10 passes to Odell. They threw eight passes to the tight ends, and those tight ends caught six. David Njoku came out of nowhere and looked like a player. That was shocking. (laughs) Because I think these tight ends are open all the time. Remember how they had – I think they had three tight ends on the field when Njoku caught the touchdown pass. And and he was wide open. You know, and I actually – I wrote this – I did a rewatch of the game and, and kind of wrote off of that. And one of the things that I think is positive is I've seen the Browns get killed on that type of play mm-hmm. over and over and over again on the goal line where a team does something funky with their tight end. He fakes a block and then releases or, you know, in, in this case, Njoku just kind of barreled through and came open and nobody was around. And it was actually kind of nice to see the Browns finally be the team that just, there, there was nothing the Ravens could do. They just misread the play. They mm-hmm. went all in against the run, and the Browns took advantage of it. And, I mean, that was – I mean, that play was stealing, basically. David Njoku was wide open. Yeah, so, again, there, that's why I'm saying there's some stuff going on in that game. you got to really dig to find it that gives you some hope that against the Bengals, against some of these other teams, Washington coming up, you know, you're going to have a chance. Defensively, I don't know what they're going to do, Dan, because these guys are hurt. And I, I, I know the line is supposed to be better, but it was – maybe it just has to do with Lamar makes everybody look horrible. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. I, there were times when they got back there and, and they created a little pressure, and, and there was – I mean, you'll find plenty of clips where Miles Garrett is just chasing Lamar Jackson and yeah, he can't catch up to him. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's going to be able to catch up to Joe Burrow, I would think. But, uh, you know, you do want to see more – there's a lot of money in that line. Yeah, there is. And I, I don't know, you know, the secondary and, and that. And when I, when I interviewed Andrew Berry, I mean, he admitted, you know, that they put the accent on the offense in the offseason, uh, whether it's the higher draft picks and the money, because um, they want to build that up. And this has to do with, you know, getting Mayfield in position to do something. And Berry would not, I could tell you this, Berry would not have taken that job unless he felt at least Baker could be a viable quarterback, not a superstar, but in other words, where he wouldn't have to, after year one a GM, have to go find a quarterback again. He doesn't right. want to do this. None of these guys want to do this. You know, Case Keenum is there to help him. And also because Stefanski uh, was shell-shocked some at Minnesota, because remember, they kept getting quarterbacks for it every year. <laughs> yeah. He did. he did not want to go on the war with Garrett Gilbert. I'll tell you that this first year as a head coach. <laughs> Which is fair. <laughs> Which is fair. So I would want my safety valve, Case Keenum, sitting there because I know Case is not going to undercut Baker. He knows my offense. And if I need him, I mean, hey, you never know. Quarterbacks get hurt. Baker hasn't, at least in terms of where he had to, you know, leave, miss a game. Mm -hmm. But they do. So I understand having Case Keenum because, again, you want to go back to your system and put all this in. So let's see what they can do. you know, I, I, again, I'm just hoping for, for something for the Browns fans to see. I, I, I was reading through that I'm writing a column for, uh, about if, if you're a Browns ticket holder, 
did you have a chance to buy a ticket for the, you know, the 6,000? Did you do it? And, you know, these people, one guy's like, he's a season ticket or he lives in Concord, North Carolina. Oh my goodness. You know, so <laughs> he got, he got them. He got the two tickets. They're driving up with his car, <laughs> with the Browns tag. This is Browns number one in North Carolina plates. <laughs> Another guy says, I spent 1200 bucks to buy four tickets in the Cardiac Kids Club for the Browns Bengals after they lost 38 to six. <laughs> I'm always impressed. I mean, there are people who live in California and they'll fly in every week, you know, every weekend for a game or whatever. They'll pick six games and sell the other tickets. It's, the it's Browns were in uh, LA, was it two years ago, I think it was? Yeah, I can't remember exactly when it was. But I remember. They're playing the Chargers in that, soc that soccer stadium. It might have been the 0 16 year. Yeah. Guy comes up to me. He's a surgeon in Alaska. <laughs> okay. You know what's happening? He grew up in Strongsville or somewhere on the west side. Anyway, he flies to whenever he, he the minute the schedule comes out, he when the Browns are sort of on the west coast or somewhere, he's flying to the games. I don't know if he's taking like one of those Incredible. bush planes out of, you know, <laughs> somewhere north of Fairbanks or what, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. And we laugh because uh, uh, the people even admit it. It's completely irrational. I guess all 6,000 tickets are gone and, you know, everything else. So now, now to be very serious, Dan, and you, you hear from them too, and we both, you know, we grew up here that Browns give them something to watch. Right. Well, and I mean, you know, we laugh about it, but we're not like laughing at them. No. You know, I mean, it's it's actually incredible. And and I'll be honest, you know, I, I did a lot of the, the writing about this restart plan and, and right. what they're trying to do. As I go through it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a, a great experience to, to watch a, an NFL football game in person this year, but people want to be there. They want to be in that stadium and they want to experience Browns football. And I think a few people too. Give them a lot of credit. See what you think on this because it's been so hard with COVID and people have gone so few places. Right. They read through this stuff and it sounds fairly safe. You know, that you're not going to be. Yeah, I, I, I think they're doing a great job. I mean, this is yeah, nothing right. about their plan. So they said, places. you know what? We're going for it. Right. We need to just get out of the house. We love the Browns. We don't feel like we're going to be in any area that, you know, is any worse than, say, going to Walmart or something, you know, <laughs> where there's plenty of room and, and that. And why not? So I, I mean, they want a sense of normalcy. I mean, listen, I, I went to Baltimore this weekend. You, you were there, too, obviously. And it's normally one of my favorite trips, especially in September. You're at the harbor and it's, it's really nice. I stayed in my hotel the whole time. Like I didn't get out. I didn't do anything interesting. Mm -hmm. And it was still great to like, not be at home. You know, that's part of the reason I kind of had the in option. In a different state or a different city. I had the option of going or not, you know, our boss gave me that. And uh, what I usually do is I drive to Hagerstown, spend the night there and then just come in and, and kind of go back. And it me, it was just nice to go out for a long drive and, and everything. And so to get out, so that, that was good. But the, the game was bizarre. I mean, yeah, you, you, it really it, was like I was like in hermetically sealed in this, you know, with all this plastic <laughs> and everything around us watching a game. Did well, you that, Go ahead. Did, did you, I, I guess you probably drove to the game, but I, I walked to the game. I was staying across from Camden Yards. 
and and usually Camden is open so you can walk on Utah Street and find you know you see all those plaques and stuff so I walked to the game and it was just it was eerie it was a ghost yeah, town eerie the whole thing is eerie was the word yeah. I don't know if you saw they interviewed Belichick after his game I, I know I didn't see it this is pretty this is classic Bill so they said hey Bill um, what did you think about the game with no fans he goes well what do you mean what about it what was it like practice (laughs) have you ever been in anything else like that before practice (laughs) that was it i mean to me not to go back now where i'm going with this because there's no fans and on top of that we even couldn't hear the the crummy noise they had piped in there it really did look like we were watching a practice unfortunately the browns played right into that too you know yeah I think the the strangest thing though was all the pomp and circumstance when you got into the stadium. They had flag waivers and they played a hype video pregame, and it was all that. That was probably the most bizarre thing. Uh, just kind of, the, yeah, they the, tried to make it feel like a like there were seventy thousand people there. Yeah, I guess for, for that. I wonder, Dan. We should. This would be good when we actually get more access to players or whatever after a few games with this. Say, do you miss the fans? Yeah. I mean, did they notice? Did they miss it? And, you know, I, I think there were moments on Sunday where it's like they make a big play and they go to celebrate and they're not celebrating in front of anyone, right? Yeah. Normally, normally you'd jump in the stands or, you know, you'd preen for the crowd. It was just kind of find a camera and celebrate in front of the camera, I, I guess. I would say they do miss it. I yeah, mean, I you so. know, the discouraging thing, too, is you've been to Baltimore just like I've had all these years, and you know how tough a place it is to play. And the way they lose 38-6, to six, just think if the fans were there and had everything cranked up. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so that would have been difficult. Now, what is a couple of things you want to see with the Bengals game? Well, I, I, want, I want to see them establish the run like we talked about. But really, the, the thing to me is – I came away from that Baltimore game going, going in, I was concerned about the back end of the defense. Anyway, right. even, even healthy. I was concerned about anybody not named Denzel Ward. Um, and I come out of that game being as concerned as I was going into it. So yeah. the Bengals have a lot of weapons. I actually really like, you know, with Joe Mixon, AJ Green, I like their receiving core. Um, I, I think they can test that, that second level a little bit. You know, I don't know if they can protect Joe Burrow. They're obviously not the Ravens. Uh, but I, I just want to see how this, the linebackers and the secondary respond after that game on Sunday. And, you know, over the years, they've never been able to cover A.J. Green. He's playing, right? right. Yeah. yeah. What, I guess he got through – what I meant is he got through the first game without getting hurt as far as we know. He, he did. He did. Yeah, which is oh, – yeah, he's missed something like 30-some of the last 54 games. I heard that stat, 36 of 54 or something like that. Well, he's, he's healthy enough that he actually got called for a push-off on the last play of the game that would have been the go-ahead touchdown. Yeah, so I heard that. Yeah, he's he's healthy that. enough for that. <laughs> That's a great thing. When the Bengals play the Browns, you can't say, well, one team's just getting the calls because they're good. <laughs> I mean, what, so what do you want to see? All right. Besides the running thing, I want to see Baker just throw the ball better. Because a yeah. couple of times you and I are sitting by each other going, where was that pass going? You know, there were a couple of those. They just sort of flew off into the atmosphere. Secondly, and I really want to watch this, Dan, it looked to me at times like he would drop into the pocket like he couldn't see the receivers or something. Yeah. I haven't done a film study. I'd like to see, you know, whether you or like Ellis Williams does some good ones to really look at that. 
especially after this game where you have two games, is there some reason he's not seeing these things from the pocket? Thirdly, I, again, you have – now, they don't have Njoku, but Harrison Bryant can catch balls, and so can uh, Austin Hooper. Get them in the offense. And then, you know, then you, 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 you spring Odell at a time when, when they're not really looking. In the meantime, you know how Jarvis – Jarvis Landry just plays. Yeah. He just plays. Just he gets catches the ball. He catches. He's <laughs> out there off a of hip surgery. He's not even supposed to be on the field. Lord knows what he's doing to be able to play. He's never missed a game. I mean, this is my – you know, we have to talk about Odell. The receiver, the best receiver on this team is Jarvis Landry by far because he's, of the reliability. He's like, he's like that, that player in the NBA that you just yeah. know is going to score 16, 18 points every night. Right. Five and three steals and, yeah. and he's there every day like the national anthem. And – you know, once in a while he gets emotional. Somebody told me about Jarvis, what they learned. Well, they've seen him like once a year, twice a year, he fires off at a coach. It's almost like you listen to him, then you go, okay, are, are you done, Jarvis? <laughs> yeah, okay. And then you kind of yeah. reel back. It, it isn't going to be anything where there's a big fallout. It's just emotion because he, you know, he's tired of losing too. Right. But I think, I think we'll see over the years, if he stays here a number of years, he's going to be like a Cleveland Brown the kind of guy you look at and say, that's a Cleveland Brown. I like that guy, you know, like Chubb and some of these others. Yeah, exactly. Um, can I give you one more thing? Yes. I want to, I want to spend the whole night just seeing 95 everywhere. I, I, I don't know. I don't need to see him do what Aaron Donald did Sunday night. Yeah. He threw three guys like bowling. <laughs> but I just, I, I want to come out of that game. And I want to see, and I want to say, I saw 95 on almost every play. And you know what? I do want to see some, as stupid as this sounds, I do want to see some, some gifts on Twitter of something, of a couple crazy things that he did in that game. That, that's, yeah. that's something I really want to see on, on Thursday. Well, and, you know, he can, he has the ability, if he's used right, to terrorize Joe Burrow. It's his second game. You know, he didn't face anybody like that um, in the opener. So you're right, Dan, he can do that. Uh, I thought, by the way, Ogan Jogi had a couple nice plays in that game. You know, he did. He did. I, I think PFF actually gave him the highest defensive grade in the league. Now, now we can talk about whether a guy who played on a defense that gave up 38 points should yeah, be the highest grade player. But, but he, he did play well. I always I look at their ratings, and I, I sometimes even go off on the numbers. But it's like if it's high, did it match my eye test? Right. Yeah, I noticed him. Um, yeah. So that was why I didn't know Sheldon Richardson much. And, and uh, if, if you, if you rewatch, you'll see Sheldon a couple times. Okay. He, what he about, came through the, he came about, through the middle a couple times. What about Vernon? I did not see a ton of Vernon. And what's yeah. interesting this year is, and I don't think we're going to get Joe Woods this week, which is unfortunate because this is something I've been keeping an eye on. Either. Right. <laughs> you it's something I've been, would you raise your hand in the Zoom lines? Oh, please. No. Let, let me go out there and explain how our, how our, offense, our defense was invisible. I'd like to really talk about this. But th this kind of got spun, and I didn't really buy it necessarily. This got spun as, well, you know, they're just trying to protect Jedrick Wills a little bit. But Miles Garrett spent most of camp lining up over the right tackle. Mm -hmm. Oh, and behold, we come out on Sunday, and he's uh, right I think tackle. he spent the entire game over the right tackle, which yeah. is different from the rest of his career. It was he did a little switching last year. It wasn't quite half and half, but he was, he was mostly over the left tackle. So All right. I'll, here's what I want to say. Can they hold Joe Mixon 
under 150 yards. <laughs> you know how many he's, he had? 308 in two games last year. 308 yards against the Browns. One was 160 yards and 140. Now let's be, I'm, I'm going to be now a little, try to be a little more. So how about under 100 yards? That's Joe Mixon and uh, James Conner owe the Browns mm-hmm. a lot of money. <laughs> they have made careers out of, out of rushing against the Browns. Uh, so far, now actually, if you're going to pick some team, at least it's in the division to do that. So I, I do want to see because I, I, I have to admit, we, we this is the big negative. There's so many negatives about not any preseason and even um, watching those practices that you were at far more than I was, where you said just didn't see much, and then watching that mess on Sunday, I still don't know what exactly Joe Woods wants to do on defense. I, I don't really either. And I think, you know, I think a part of it too is he just, maybe he just doesn't have the horses to do it yet. And I, I do think getting Ronnie Harrison up to speed is going to make. Yeah, get him in there. I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a reason. And I know Andrew Barry likes him because he mentioned that to me in my interview that uh, he, he's 23 years old. He played at Alabama. Uh, I guess uh, Jacksonville's uh, drafted a safety and signed another guy. And, you know, Jacksonville's like half trying to lose anyway. So, right. uh this was a chance he felt to get a guy in the fifth round pick that he thinks could start for a couple of years. Uh, so, you know, put him in there. I mean, Andrew Sedano didn't, what's his name? Uh, Sedano, how many snaps? Anderson Dayhill. I always want to say Anderson Vergeau. Well, anyway, he, well, Anderson Vergeau's younger brother playing for the Vikings <laughs> played about 9,000 snaps. He was out there forever getting beat. Yeah. He had a rough game on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> You, you kind of saw why he played for two different teams last year, why somebody you know, signed him away from Minnesota why, and he ended up why, back. And why he's probably a bit part player. You put him in at certain times. Um, you know, it's the, it was an old line of when I covered the Orioles and John Wallenstein, who played for the Indians at the time, and he was now with the Orioles, and he used to hit 242 with the Indians all the time. In fact, he had 242 exactly three out of four years. So I sit like 290 for the Orioles, and I'm a rookie writer covering Earl Weaver. And I'm saying, yeah, Earl, don't you think you should play Lowenstein more? He's only sitting 300 or whatever. He goes, well, if I play, you used to call him Lowenstein. If I play Lowenstein as much as you want me to play Lowenstein, then he goes out to being the same bleeping Lowenstein. He was in Cleveland. He was sitting bleeping 242. So I'm going to play him how I play him so he's better than he even thinks he is. And it's a long way of saying, you know, less of some guys is more. And maybe less of Sedano, because obviously he stayed in the league for this amount of time. There's some right. things he can do. But, you know, that was way too much. Sometimes you got to find that sweet spot. Besides, you're down 24 to six and a half or whatever. Why was it just Harrison out there? Go tackle somebody. It would be a plus. Yeah, give him some garbage time, get him some reps, something like that. Yeah. yeah. It was All a strange. Right. I really felt, you know, I wrote the, the, the coaching staff I felt was ill-prepared and, and overwhelmed. And here's what I meant by that. Ill-prepared being how you could have a plan. That's the right one, which was the running, the tight ends, all that. But part of your preparation is staying with your plan when it's tough, you know, and, and when the, in other words, the score got away. And that's what I felt like. Then the overwhelmed part came in. They got overwhelmed by being down 24 to six and that, and they got away from the thing on offense. And even defensively, I mean, would seem, like you said, Harrison only played a couple of snaps, and I forgot there's somebody else that probably should have played a little more, um, and and didn't. So we'll see what happens this week. They they had a couple of days to look at it. 
Yeah, look, if you were going to have a short week, this was the week. <laughs> get that Baltimore game behind you and, and get out there and, and maybe get things right against a, a team like Cincinnati. Have, have you come up with a pick yet for the game? No. I guess I should make one. <laughs> well, you don't, have to, you don't have to give me a score or anything right now, but, but are you at least leaning I'm towards leaning picking the Browns? I'm really leaning towards the Bengals? I just don't feel good about the team right now because of all the injuries and everything else. I think I'm going to pick the Browns. I just, I don't know. Maybe I'll watch that game. Maybe I'll, I'll get to watching that Cincinnati game and change my mind. Uh, but I, I, I feel like the Browns should be able to beat this Bengals team. I felt like that last year, and they, they, well, they should, struggled against them in the first game and lost in the second. I just don't think, Dan, they're, they're not positioned real well right now to, to do things. If they go out and just run it down their throat and chew up the clock with the defense off the field, that's the way you're going to beat the Bengals. If it's Eric yeah. Stefanski, look out. <laughs> just keep handing that ball to, to Nick and Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Short passes, too. It's not just, you know, running up the middle. It's short passes. It's, it's sweeps. It's, you know, it's throwing the ball to tight ends. Mm-hmm. Big targets for, for Baker. There's yeah. nothing with a seven-yard pass. Well, we'll get to see our old friend Austin Seibert, too, most likely. I didn't see what happened. He got claimed by the Bengals. Did he really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I missed all that. Get some of that kicker intel. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm assuming he's going to get through the protocols in time to be able to kick on Thursday. I, I don't know. Well, exactly I remember Portsmouth's Cody Parkey, my memory of him. They had a kicker that got hurt right before the Browns played at Miami. They, they did, yep. him like on a Thursday or Friday. He goes down to Miami, and of all the games – where the Browns kept being in field goal position. He had kicked six field goals in that game, missed three. They lost, I believe, in overtime or whatever. And actually, he kind of rallied and made it through the rest of the year. He was pretty good the rest of the year. Yeah, but that, that was a dreadful. He just kept running this poor guy out there to get the kick. I, uh, I can't remember that other kicker's name. I actually wrote a really long story about him. Um, Unfortunately, he tore up a knee in practice. Name. That was a weird thing about it. Yeah, he played like uh, what did he play? It wasn't rugby. It was like Scottish football, or I don't even know if that's a thing. Oh no, played... don't say that. Then then we're back in the the, the, the fake pun. <laughs> well, that's I, I I wish I could remember his name. I'm completely blanking on it now. That's how significant. Yeah, yeah that's that's how I'm significant doing. writing that story was. Ended the up being Scottish Hammer to punt, and that's what I want the Scottish Hammer to do. <laughs> Like, like I said on Sunday, he learned very quickly that this is not, uh, this is not rugby. This is the, uh, the highest level of, of my power grove used to say regulars are regulars for a reason in terms of why they play punters are punters for a reason, not to run the ball. <laughs> All right. Thursday night, it's going to be Browns Bengals. Uh, hopefully we'll be talking about a much better outcome than what happened on yeah, Sunday. Really, because of all the stuff except from the fans, we do want to give them something. We really do. For sure. So again, as always, make sure you're subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast wherever you get your podcasts and check out Football Insider to start your 14-day free trial. It's 216-208-3965. Just send a text there and you get your free trial started. Uh, Terry, thanks for the time. Take care, Dan.